Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. On Good Friday, in his dying moments, after hanging on the cross for several hours, Jesus suddenly says, I thirst. And then the soldiers run and get him some sour wine. They give it to him in a hyssop branch and he, and he, he takes a little drink of it. And then he says, it is finished. Why now? Why is Jesus suddenly thirsty at, at this moment? And, and what's the connection between his thirst and his drinking this wine and saying, I finished? Why is it finished now? Why not, you know, an hour earlier or an hour later? Why now? And, and besides, what does he even mean when he says, it is finished? I think about a person's dying words, their last words to us before they die. They're often very meaningful and we treasure them. What is Jesus saying to you when he says, it is finished? Is he simply saying, oh, my life is over. There's no more time. Time has run out. Time has run out on my life. My, my life is ending. I'm approaching death. It is finished. Is that simply what he's saying? Is it kind of like what happened this last week here in the United States with the NCAA men's basketball final? We had a big championship basketball game, college basketball here with the University of North Carolina playing KU, the University of Kansas. And it was a really tight game back and forth. And it goes all the way down to the wire. And North Carolina is down by three points in the final seconds. And it was high drama. They they have the ball and they try to do a three-point shot to tie it and, and they miss. But they get the rebound and they they try another three-point shot and they miss a second time. And then they, they get the ball again and, and they try a third three-point shot and they miss again. And the time runs out. The buzzer goes off. There's no more time. We could say it is finished. <laughs> the game is over. They've lost. Is that what Jesus means when he says it, it is finished? Is it his life is over? No more time. It's a moment of defeat. No, what we're going to see is actually far from a moment of defeat. These words are words of great triumph that Jesus is bringing to, to fulfillment, to, to, to its climax, the Father's plan for his life and for our salvation. And it has incredible meaning for our walk with the Lord today. But we have to understand the biblical background of the mystery of Good Friday and the passion narratives. And that's what we're going to explore in this week's podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sri, and I want to give a warm welcome to, as I always do, any any new listeners joining us. But I'm thinking this week of people from North Carolina and that area, North, South Carolina. Uh, I was just speaking in Raleigh, North Carolina, at the amazing Fullness of Truth conference. It was awesome. There were over a thousand people packed in this massive conference center. And uh, it was just great to see so many people back together again after two years of many smaller events. It was awesome seeing so many faithful Catholics coming up. Blessing to be here with uh, Patrick Madrid and Ralph Martin and, and many others here at, at the Wonderful Fullness of Truth Conference. Uh, this week, as you're entering into Holy Week now, you're, you're, we are all approaching the climax known as the Triduum, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and, and the joy of Easter Sunday. I want to share with you something that I've done personally, just in my own spiritual life in the, in these sacred days for, for many years. And uh, I hope it could be helpful for you in your own walk with the Lord to stay close with Jesus. You see, I, I remember as a graduate student starting this tradition, I, um, 
I, I would go to mass with, with the Pope at the time. It was St. John Paul II. It was pretty awesome to go to Holy Thursday mass with JP two. I remember we had like maybe seventh row seats. He was really close. I'm watching him wash the feed. It was, it was incredible. But after mass, there's the tradition is, as you know, in your local parish and all around the world of, of our churches being open. And we, we have a, a side chapel where we keep the blessed sacrament. And it's meant to remind us of what Jesus said on that first Holy Thursday night. He said, remain with me, stay with me, uh, watch and pray. And he's longing for our hearts to stay with him. Those original disciples, Peter and John, they, they fell asleep. They weren't staying with Jesus as they should have. And, and then they run away that night and abandon him, right? Uh, there as he's being arrested. He wants you to stay with him. Will you stay with Jesus this Holy Thursday? Will you stay close to him on Good Friday and Holy Saturday? He's longing for your heart to be with him. And some of us might have to go to work on these days. Some of us might have things with our kids and we have to make meals. And it's, you know, we might not be able to go even to an adoration chapel. It'd be wonderful if Holy Thursday night you can stay and be with Jesus and worship him in the Eucharist. But even if you have to go home, even if you have little ones, and I've done this all these last you know 20 plus years with my kids, you know, we, we put the kids down and then I'll go down to my lower living room by my fireplace and I'll do the tradition that began in Rome uh, as I was a doctoral student many years ago. The, what I started to do is you know, after that mass with JP2, I remember we would walk around to all the different churches in Rome. And as you know, there's like a church on every block in Rome, beautiful, spectacular churches everywhere. And, and all the churches really beautifully decorated their little side chapel with tons of flowers and fountains. And it was just amazing and beautiful. Uh, and we would just go from one church to another to another. I remember just visiting dozens and dozens of churches all the way till midnight that that Holy Thursday night. But I was carrying with me a little pocket New Testament, and I would just read what was happening on Holy Thursday night, that first Holy Thursday night. And so I would read about the Last Supper. I would read about the agony in the garden. I would read about the arrest, and then I would read about the, the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin, before Caiaphas, the high priest, and I'd read about Peter denying Jesus three times, and I, you know, so I would just read a little short section from Matthew, then from Luke, then from Mark, and from John, and just go through all the Gospels, and I would just read them and, and walk with Jesus on my Holy Thursday night in the time in which the events were unfolding in Jesus's first Holy Thursday night. I did the same thing Good Friday morning, what was happening with Jesus on Good Friday morning, and I would read the accounts of what was happening in the uh, in, in the Gospels about that. Uh, and then I would read about what happened Good Friday afternoon and Good Friday evening and Holy Saturday, Jesus at the tomb. It was a way to stay close to Jesus through the scriptures, through his inspired word, and just remembering step by step everything he did. Uh, what I want to share with you is I was very grateful. There was some uh, a friend or someone who's become a friend in, in Minnesota that recommended to me uh, that I, I put together a little guide and I'm making it available to people for free. Uh, so it's a little guide. If you want to walk step by step with Jesus through the scriptures this Holy Week, all you need to do is email me and I'll, we'll add you to our email list and then we'll send it to you for free. So all you need to do is tell me that you, you want the little passion narrative guide, you know, walking with Jesus through the triduum. Uh, you just, just let me know you want that. It's in, you can email me at info.edwardsri at gmail.com. That's info.edwardsri at gmail.com. 
And whether you use it this year, maybe you just get it to use it for future years. I, I did it in a way that, you know, if, if you have family, you have, you have little kids, and it might be hard to do it as a whole family. So I did really short versions, like where you just pick one little passage that you could read. And it, I, it's great for the kids to kind of walk with Jesus throughout uh, the Triduum in this way. Um, but then I, I gave all the biblical accounts for, for, the, for you go-getters out there that you really just want to know everything. So you can have all the biblical accounts as well. So there's a, a version you can just you know, pick one if it, if it's a family, or you can do all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John every step of the way. But I've just found that to be so enriching. Uh, so again, if you want this little free guide I put together, and I give a little introduction, and uh, I, I point to some questions that you, if you want, you can reflect on throughout the day, kind of like have a little retreat with Jesus on these three sacred days. Again, email me at info.edwardsri at gmail.com. That's info.edwardsri at gmail.com. But what did Jesus mean when he said, it is finished? This isn't a moment of defeat. I mentioned it's a moment of great triumph. And in fact, the word teleste uh, means, it doesn't mean finished like time ran out, game over. Uh, It's more like accomplished. It's Jesus saying, it is accomplished, mission accomplished. That's what he's saying. Uh, I like the Latin word, uh, the Latin word consummatum est. That's the Vulgate translation of this passage. It is consummated. So beautiful imagery here. Uh, we know that this particular Greek word, finished, accomplished, telestai uh, in Greek, is used in John's gospel, chapter 4, verse 34, to describe Jesus fulfilling the Father's plan. All that the Father has planned from the beginning of time is brought to its climax, its fulfillment, its culmination. Listen to what John 4, 34 says. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his will. That's what Jesus is all about, accomplishing the Father's plan. I think another layer of meaning, so that's one layer of meaning, just the Father's plan in general, the Father's plan of salvation for our holiness, our sanctification, that we could be with him forever in heaven. Jesus brought that to its its climax at that moment on Calvary. The second thing we could see is he's bringing together all of salvation history. He's bringing together all prophecy and if you just look at the biblical accounts, you know, what we read every Good Friday, we read from John's gospel, just, just take John alone, like every little detail is there for a reason. It's there to show some prophecy coming to fulfillment. It's like every verse you read of the Passion narratives is pointing back to some promise of the Old Testament, some prophecy of the Old Testament, uh, something from the Jewish hopes and expectations. It's amazing. You know, just I'll give you just a couple, couple quick examples here. You know, Pilate puts that sign above Jesus that in the three languages, in Latin and Greek and Hebrew, and it says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Well, why is that there? Why do we need to know that? It's because John's trying to show us that even though Jesus is being humiliated, even though he's being beat up and and scourged and crucified, even though he's suffering this most torturous, humiliating death, he is the true king. That Pilate's sign unwittingly is pointing to the truth. Jesus is the king. And and far from being defeated, this is his moment of, of exaltation, on the cross. The cross uh, is like his throne. This is his enthronement. He is the true king, and he's establishing his kingdom through his death. Why do we need to know that they divide his garments and they cast lots for him? Because that's what Psalm 22 foretold, that the, the great righteous one would suffer and be mocked, and they would take his garments and cast lots for them. Why do we need to know that they, but they didn't tear the one tunic, the, the seamless tunic. They, they, they tore his out, his, his other garments they did, but the inner, the inner tunic, they, they decided not 
to tear. Again, who cares? Why do I need to know that? I want to know about what's Mary thinking and, you know, what, what is John saying to Mary to comfort comfort Mary? What's Jesus feeling? You know, I want to know those things. Who cares about his his clothes? <laughs> but 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 John's gospel tells us this because the word for tunic is the same word that's used in the book of Leviticus to describe the the inner garment of the high priest. This is a priestly garment. And it's to make a contrast with Caiaphas, because remember, Caiaphas tears his garments during the trial. And, and, and the Jewish law says the high priest should never tear the tunic, should never tear that. And what does Caiaphas do? He tears that garment. But Jesus, his high priestly garment is not torn. In other words, it's showing who's the true high priest. Jesus is. Jesus is the true high priest. Caiaphas is not the real high priest. Caiaphas sent the Messiah, the true high priest, off to be crucified. Uh, Why do we need to know Jesus was pierced in his side? Again, because the prophecy foretold us in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, that God would pour out on on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace when they look on him whom they have pierced. So there's every little detail. I don't want to go through all that here. I've done other podcasts on the prophecies, but but just to know that's part of what's coming to fulfillment. Everything we're hearing about in the passion narratives is being accomplished. That's what Jesus is saying. But I think the greatest thing, and and, and if you don't remember anything else from this podcast, Give me your best attention here in the closing five minutes or so, because I think this this is the most amazing thing. When Jesus says it is finished, he's bringing to completion the Passover meal, the Passover meal that he started in the upper room at the Last Supper. And my friends, what I'm about to share with you is is so profound because it, it really shows the connection between the gift of the Eucharist and the sacrifice on the cross. And how at every Mass, we're entering that mystery of both the upper room and of Calvary, of Holy Thursday night and Good Friday afternoon, the Last Supper and the cross, they go together. So let me give you the background here. And it's really fun. My, my daughter, Josephine, you know, she's my little 11-year-old girl. And at her wonderful Catholic grade school here in Denver, what I'm going to share with you, I, I wish she were here right now. I, I, I would have her do it. She's so articulate. She had her teacher walk through the mystery of Passover and the four cups of wine, and uh, and and she was so excited about it. And she was sharing it with she'd been sharing it with us at the table, sharing it with friends, sharing it with with the doctor at the doctor's office. So it's like she's really passionate and very articulate about it. She may explain this better than I will right now. She's so on fire for this. So let me tell you about this. The, the the, the ancient Jews had four cups of wine at their Passover meal. And the third cup was known as the cup of blessing. And the fourth cup was known as the cup of consummation. It was it was like the, the final cup of the meal that sealed the covenant meal. It was what brought it to completion. It's what, and you needed the fourth cup. You know, you couldn't just have just the three, you needed the fourth. It was the idea that the, the Passover meal wouldn't have really been, you know, fulfilled if you didn't have the fourth cup of wine. And that's what makes the narratives, the gospel accounts of the Last Supper so remarkable, so astonishing, because they mention this cup at the Last Supper, that cup that Jesus takes and he prays with and he he drinks, the, he calls it the cup of his blood that'll be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Well, that's the third cup, the cup of blessing, but there's no mention of the fourth cup of wine. 
that's just kind of shocking. Well, you have to have the fourth cup. That's what completes the meal. It's what seals the covenant meal. And there's no mention of the fourth cup. In fact, right there at the Last Supper, Jesus says in Matthew 26, verse 29, he kind of hints that he's intentionally going to delay that fourth cup of wine. He says, I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So he's intentionally not drinking the last cup. He's not going to drink again. He just had the third cup, the cup of blessing, but he's not going to have the fourth cup until he drinks it anew in his Father's kingdom. So he leaves the Last Supper without having completed the Passover meal. He goes to Gethsemane and he talks about the cup there again. He, he asks the Father, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. He's talking about the cup, but, but he's asking that it pass. It's the cup of his suffering, the cup of his death. That's what this is a, a reference to. I don't know if you remember earlier in Matthew chapter 20, the uh, two disciples have their mom go to Jesus and say, you know, hey, can can my two sons sit at your left and your, at your right when you enter into your kingdom? You know, like they want like the prime positions of authority, you know, ride Jesus's coattails into his kingdom. Well, well, Jesus comes back and says, you don't know what you're asking, <laughs> you know, because when Jesus establishes as a kingdom, who's going to be sitting at his right and his left? It's, it's the two thieves, right? You're going to be nailed to a cross when he establishes his kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, she, he says. And, and then he says, are they able and willing to to drink the cup that I must drink? In other words, the cup of suffering? Are they willing to go to the cross with me? You know, that, that's what he's talking about here. So, so when Jesus says, let this cup pass in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the agony in the garden, he's referring to the cup of his suffering and death. And so that hasn't come yet. And he gets to Calvary. And it's interesting, at Calvary, I don't know if you remember, they offer him some wine. Right when he gets there, you read about this in Matthew chapter 27, verse 34. When he first gets there to Calvary and they nail him to the cross, they offer him something to drink, some wine, but he refuses. He doesn't want to drink yet. Remember what he said, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. He's not ready to, to establish the kingdom. That's going to happen at the very end, at his death. He still has some more work to do. He has some evangelization to do. He's going to evangelize the good thief. He's going to evangelize through his witness. You know, he's going to uh, forgive his enemies. He's going to care for his mother. He has a lot of work to do on the cross. He's going to trust his mother, Mary, to St. John, the beloved disciple. Uh, and his, his powerful witness is going to evangelize the Roman centurion, who at the end of it all is going to say, oh, this truly was the son of God. There's, there's a lot more mission, evangelization that he has to do, teaching that he has to do from the cross. So he's not ready to drink of the fourth cup just yet. But finally, toward the very end, when he knows he's about to breathe his last, now, finally, he says, I thirst. And then they give him the wine on the hyssop. And then he says, it is finished. John chapter 19, verse 30. Again, why now and what is finished? I think what's finished, yes, is the Father's plan. Yes, it's fulfilling all the prophecies. But most especially what's front row and center on his mind when he says it is finished, I think, is the Passover meal. He is completing the Passover meal. That's what's being finished because now he's taking that fourth cup. He's finally drinking anew. He's drinking of the fruit of the vine for the first time since the third cup in the upper room at the Last Supper. 
He didn't want to drink it there at the upper room. He didn't want to drink that fourth cup there in Gethsemane. And he didn't want to drink that fourth cup right when he got at Calvary at first and was nailed to the cross. But now that he's finished his teaching, he's finished his ministry of mercy, he's finished his work of evangelization on the cross, now he can finally say, I thirst. And what he's doing is signaling, now I will take of the fruit of the vine. This is the symbolic fourth cup that brings everything to its climax. And, and, and he says it is finished. He's bringing the Eucharist, this Passover, to, to its completion. In fact, what's fascinating is what do they use to bring this fourth drink to Jesus? <laughs> what do they use? It's hyssop. Hyssop is the particular plant that was mentioned in Exodus chapter 12 at the first Passover. When they, when they took the lamb at that Passover in Egypt and they, they, they sacrificed the lamb and they had to take the blood and put it on the doorpost of all of the homes, that's what the Israelites all had to do at that first Passover meal in Egypt. You can read about this in Exodus chapter 12. And how did they get the blood on the doorpost? They had to dip the blood of the lamb in hyssop and they used the hyssop to sprinkle it on the doorposts. And so why do I need to know it's a hyssop branch here at Calvary? It's to make the connection that Jesus is, is, is fulfilling the Passover. Just as hyssop was used at that first Passover with the blood of the Passover lamb, so hyssop is used here at the new Passover meal, the Last Supper brought to its conclusion here on Calvary. So most meals you finish right there, you know, uh, you know, in the person's house or at the restaurant. <laughs> but this is like one of those moving meals, right? It, it starts at one house and then, and then Jesus is moving and it's going to go all the way to Calvary. And he completes the meal here with drinking the fourth cup, drinking the wine on the hyssop. Same thing in, in Exodus, I'm sorry, John's gospel, chapter 19, verse 36. It tells us after Jesus dies, his bones were not broken. Again, why do I need to know that? Because according to Exodus, chapter 12, verse 46, the Passover lamb was the kind of sacrifice. You would sacrifice the Passover lamb, but it had to be a lamb whose legs were not broken. So the Passover lamb was an unblemished lamb, a lamb that didn't have its legs broken. And Jesus is somebody who is crucified. And normally when somebody is, is at the end of their crucifixion, the Roman soldiers would cut the legs so their bodies would fall and they would immediately die from, from you know, they're, as they're hanging on the cross, their legs are not no longer able to support the, their body anymore. So the lungs would completely collapse. It was a way to make sure they were dead. And they did that with the one thief. They did it with the other thief, but they came to Jesus and they knew Jesus was clearly dead. He didn't need to have his legs broken. And so they spared the breaking of the legs. Why do we need to know that? It's to make the connection. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's the new lamb whose legs are not broken. And Jesus at the Last Supper offers up his body, offers up his blood. Normally, it would be the body of the lamb, the Passover lamb being offered up at a Passover meal, and the blood of the lamb uh, that was poured out. And that they would be thinking of the Passover lamb. But in this case, we have Jesus himself is the new Passover lamb. It's his body being offered up. It's his blood being poured out, like the body and blood offered and poured out for a Passover lamb. 
And so, my friends, when we get to the climax of, of Jesus's very life and mission, when he says, it is finished, yes, he's bringing to completion the Father's plan. Yes, he's fulfilling all prophecy, of course. But first and foremost, he's bringing the Passover meal to its climax. And the gift of his very body and blood in the Eucharist, that gift of himself is, is the gift of Calvary. You see, what he starts at the Last Supper, offering up his, in his body and blood, what he, he, he offers it up in his will, in his heart. He, he offers up his body and blood, but that, that sacrifice interiorly is carried out in his flesh and blood, in his body the next day on Calvary. And so you see the connection between Holy Thursday and Good Friday. And what Jesus begins at the Last Supper, he completes at the cross. He takes the, the first three cups of wine at the Last Supper as he institutes the Eucharist, but he drinks the last cup. He says, I'm, I thirst, and he has the last drink. And then he says, it is finished, bringing to completion, accomplishing the Passover. He's the new Passover lamb dying for our sins, and every time we go to Mass, Every time we celebrate the Eucharist, we enter into the mystery of Christ's offering of his body and blood. The sacrifice of Christ is made present to us. We become like St. John and the Blessed Virgin Mary right there at Calvary because Jesus wants to reproduce his sacrificial love in our hearts. He wants to change our hearts. He wants us to live with greater mercy and forgiveness. He wants us to live with greater generosity, with greater courage. He wants our hearts to be like his living total sacrificial love like he did on Good Friday. And that's why the fourth cup of the Passover meal consummated right there at Good Friday is so important for us to see because it makes the connection not just from what happened 2,000 years ago, but what happens every day we go to Mass. We don't just receive the body and blood of Jesus. We actually enter into his sacrifice, his sacrifice on the cross. It is finished. Jesus wants to accomplish his whole mission ultimately in our hearts. So yes, Jesus said it is finished. But in a sense, his mission continues. Will your heart be changed? Will you surrender your heart to Jesus? Will you allow his sacrificial love to change your selfish heart, your fearful heart, your prideful heart? I know I need a lot of change in my heart. That's why I'm so thankful for the gift of the mass. So grateful for Good Friday, of course, the very center of our faith. But we get Good Friday, not just this week of Holy Week. In a sense, we enter Good Friday at every celebration of the Eucharist at every Mass. Thank you, Jesus, so much for the gift of your body and blood. Thank you, Jesus, so much for your sacrifice. Jesus, I thank you that you didn't just die for me. I thank you that you want to reproduce your total perfect love, your sacrificial love on Calvary in my own heart. Change my heart, Jesus. I love you. I want to love you more. My friends, if you want to walk with Jesus and stay close to him during Holy Week, if you want that little step-by-step -step reading plan from the Bible where you can walk with him all the days of, of the Triduum, email me at info.edwardsree at gmail.com. It's a free resource. We'll send it to you. We'll add you to our mailing list and we'll give you the, the free resource. Again, that's info.edwardsree at gmail.com. That's info.edwardsri at gmail.com. 